You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 108. With a lot of the coaching I did, I learned how to work globally through the coaching engagements I did in Japan, Sydney, Singapore, throughout Europe, India. I had to learn how to be sensitive to those cultures, aware of the differences and similarities. And when I say differences, I mean with respect to their culture, country, part of the world, religious traditions, Mm -hmm. language, all of those things come into place. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Star Coach Show, where we focus on strategies, tools, and resources for professional coaches every single week. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler, and I'm just so happy that you joined us for this fabulous show. We are going global this week and focusing on what we as coaches should be aware of and how to tune into things to pay attention to if you're working with many different cultures across the globe. Our guest today is Master Certified Coach Alexandria Hilton. She's a global leadership coach, a consultant, an executive advisor. She speaks at conferences, and she's the owner of her own global leadership company. Now, we are going to get into more detail about what we're going to talk about today. But before we go there, I want to just remind you and encourage you to take me up on my offer to have a chat. I am on a mission to know more about you, to know about the things that are important to you, and look at what are the things that are creating barriers to your success, maybe just to getting to that next level, or Do we have more challenges in the skill area and staying sort of crisp with our coaching muscles? Or is it more in business building that we can hit our frustration? I'd love to be able to talk with you. I have slots in my calendar available that you can get the link in our show notes. Or if you don't have time to meet, we can certainly get your feedback through a survey. I've created a really easy, quick survey that is also the link is available both in the show notes and on the homepage at starcoachshow.com. So this is my mission as we enter our third year to just get to know you better. And I look forward to it. So now let's talk about what 
today's show is going to focus on. As I mentioned, we have Alexandria Hilton with us today. She brings over 25 years of experience advising top performers around the world, C-suite people, senior executives, board of directors. She is a specialist in global leadership development And we are going to focus today on the things that we should be aware of as coaches when we open up our practices to working with cultures from across the world. Now, one of the things that I feel very blessed about is that I know that our audience is from over 20 countries. So I want to sort of segue into I understand that since Alexandria and I are both from the United States, the interview might have been a little like coaches from the United States focused, but I think that from wherever you are around the world listening to this show, if you have an intention to work with clients or other coaches from anywhere in the world, what Alexandria shares is oh so valuable. And we did touch a little bit on what are other people's perceptions of the United States. For those of you who are coming from the United States, if that interests you at all to think about, what is it that I might run into as an American in other parts of the world? Alexandria was just a fount of information and a lot of fun to spend time with. So I won't make you wait anymore. Let's go to our interview with Master Certified Coach Alexandria Hilton. Hello, Alexandria. Thanks for joining the Star Coach Show today. Hi, I'm very excited to talk with you and share whatever I can with other coaches. That is fabulous. I will tell you that after our pre-interview call, I was thinking there's no way we have enough time with you to get all of the wisdom that you have to share. But we're going to talk about an exciting topic today in that you have a multicultural and global coaching business. And I think that that gives an interesting perspective, but I'd like to start with what brought you into the field of coaching to begin with? Actually, a number of things, but I would say, first of all, providing leadership development for decades with nobody training me on how to do it, I had to figure that out. So I trained leaders in both the U.S. and Canada, and that was the beginning of seeing where there were cultural differences, at least in North America. The other thing is I grew up in the human potential movement, so I was born into the evolving rise in women's, the women's movement and civil rights and the potential of each person to realize their vision. Which fits so well in with coaching, that whole potential of human potential and flourishing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I'd say the third thing is I've been a lifetime endurance athlete, so I'm used to training with teams and following a coach. In my case, it was an athletic coach, but learning discipline practices and recovery. For athletes, high performance depends on recovery. And as we know, working with our clients, very often recovery is not something they build into their 
their practice. So you came into the field of coaching and how did you decide the kind of business that you wanted to set up? You know, I started in the Bay Area. At the time, I was a single mother. I had a young child. And in order to be both parents to her, which I was in this case, I had a Bay Area-based business, which did very well. However, I knew the day I took her to university, I literally dropped her off. And within a week, I was on a plane to Geneva for a conference in Geneva because I knew I wanted to return to doing some global work. Oh, how neat. Boom. That was the plan. You did what you needed to do to support her and to get her off to college. And then what did that look like then when you began to expand? Well, you know, there's one other thing I would mention about where my interest in other cultures started, because I've Mm -hmm. thought about this a lot since our last conversation. I grew up with grandparents that were immigrants. They were from Switzerland and Alsace-Lorraine. They spoke German and English. Their culture, their furnishings, their home, their friends was European. So I was used to a European flavor to the holidays and to being with family. So that to me was very comfortable. And I also was fascinated by anyone I met that was from another culture and what it took for them to integrate into the American culture. So actually, when it was time for me to start the traveling, I gathered names of about 50 people and I went by interest. It wasn't, I wasn't particularly strategic. It was just land in Geneva and meet people and then take it from there. So it was all based on relationships. So when you say meet people, this is how you began to establish relationships with affiliates that you would work with around the globe. Absolutely. So at that first conference in 2008 in Geneva, that's where I met. It was very interesting. The people that I met there were really the beginnings of affiliates I still have today. And we started the relationship. It took about two years of developing those relationships. And I would go to Singapore. I went to, to Australia, to Sydney, various parts of the world. So I was on their turf, in their country, in the, you know, in the midst of their culture when we first started our relationship. So how do you do that? How do you structure your business so that you are working with coaches around the world but it's sort of your business that they're affiliating with. So give us a little picture of that. Yes. At the beginning, I did a lot of traveling and needed to to establish the business. But once it was established, I have a network now of, it says about 50 on my website, but it's more like 75 coaches around the world. The affiliates are all business owners in key markets. We know one another, trust one another. And here's the real qualifier. Our values are aligned. Oh, important. So important. We're all very holistic in our approach to coaching. Most are ontological coaches. And so making sure we have that alignment, understanding, and that we have consistent values, really key. And then it's understanding how they operate their businesses because I work with their coaches. Okay. So most of the coaches you work with have sort of a stable of coaches themselves. Exactly. Not all, but most. Mm Mm-hmm. So I respect that they are my peers and they are other business owners and we Mm -hmm. operate as partners and collaborators in the way we work together. And then businesses who need coaching, because you you work with leadership teams, correct? Yes. 
know that they can reach out to your business and that you can offer coaching services for pretty much anywhere around the globe. Yes. And amazingly, they may have a very unique need for someone with a legal background or a particular subject matter expertise. Mm -hmm. And my team knows where to go find those people. Now, it may take a little while, but we always fulfill the order of the client. Whenever they say, do you have this kind of a person? I have never said no and always have found those people one way or another. And it's all through relationships and my affiliate team. Aren't relationships key? I mean, it all comes down to the kinds of relationships you've established. Even if if you if it's putting like sales first, in my opinion, if it's all about, let me just meet you so that I can tell you what I do, that's not building a relationship. You know, we build relationships, we find out about people's values, we find out about what's important to them, the way that they do things. And if it's meant to, I mean, time after time, I've had opportunities to work with people just through relationship building. And I don't say just like it's not an important, that's the key, that's the hub. Exactly. And it's also having those trusting relationships without all the signed documents of referral fees and all of that. I mean, I know some people run their businesses with a lot of very clear legal parameters. To be honest, I work with most of my affiliates with a handshake and we give our word to one another. In some cases, we refer each other to our coaches and there's no fee involved. Sometimes they may decide, we may decide it's appropriate to have a fee. It's always a conversation we have within our relationship. And it's always done out of respect for and caring for the other party as well as taking care of our own business. And to be honest, that has never failed me. I have always found that truly what goes around comes around. So important. So important. So I'm curious, what did it take for you to to move from being sort of a, a Bay Area coach to a globally known figure in the coaching world? How long was that process for you? It took a good two years to begin to get traction. So I kept all the local business going in the meantime, of course. And then I would market to my existing clients that I indeed had coaches to offer in key markets around the world. And as the affiliate team grew, I was able to offer more in those different markets. And I also learned with a lot of the coaching I did, I learned how to work globally through the coaching engagements I did in Japan, Sydney, Singapore, throughout Europe, India. I had to learn how to be sensitive to those cultures aware of the differences and similarities. And when I say differences, I mean with respect to their culture, country, part of the world, religious traditions, mm-hmm. language, all of those things come into play. So I can get into a little Yeah, and different. that's what we're going to do next. So I wanted to kind of get a little sense of how you built that business. But when we think about being multicultural, yeah. 
Yes. There's many different things that we have to pay attention to and respect. And I'm wondering what some of those, so let's get into maybe some tips and tricks that for any audience that's thinking, wow, I would just love to expand my wings and to be able to provide services, link up with other providers and other cultures. What are some of the things that you've learned over the years that you have to be very tuned into? Always being curious and not assuming I know. We all know this as coaches, right? That's really fundamental. But after years in the, I've I've been doing this for over 20 years, you begin to think you know something. And in fact, that curiosity is key. You know, I would start with know the time zone that person's in. What time of day is it when you're speaking to them? Because if you're in an Americentric culture, and most of my clients are American-based companies, very often American business people aren't particularly dialed into what's happening in India when I call a conference call first thing in the morning, my time. Well, that's dinner time in India. And do they eat dinner when we do? Or do they eat dinner later because of the heat? Not assuming dinner time here is dinner time there. there. And oh, by the way, are you taking time away from your family? Paying attention to, and also the season of the year. If it's in the Southern Hemisphere, we're Northern Hemisphere, of course. Southern Hemisphere, you know, in Australia, the holiday season in December is the middle of summer. Are we paying attention to when they're in those seasons? How are they affected? How does it affect transportation, state of mind? politics, knowing, doing research on the politics of that country. At that time, I was just talking to one of my colleagues in Brazil, who he opened with talking about what's going on in their country. I mean, they're going through a tremendous political battle there. And I had to know that going into the phone call, not say, no, gee, I actually... Yeah, really? There's an issue? Yeah. You really have something going on in your country too? Yeah. It's not all about America, which is one of the things that you said that sort of struck, you know, that in America, well, we're just going to schedule a meeting for what makes sense for us. or did, So how much educating do you have to do maybe for the leaders that you work with in America to maybe expand their horizons a little and get outside of this America bubble? <laughs> Oh, that's such a great question. Well, for one thing, so many of our executives have multicultural teams. They're, I mean, I had one executive, he had nine time zones in his wow. team. And I would ask him, do you have all those time zones on a dashboard so you know what time it is in each of the countries where your team member is weighing in? Mm, somewhat. Didn't know exactly. So is that really important to me? Yeah, I'm glad you put a little bit of spotlight on that for him. Absolutely. And pointed it out. And the other thing is, are they paying attention to the impact of, and, and by the way, I had to learn to walk this talk. I led a global team of leaders in the coaching industry who were around the world. So what I promised at that time was I would rotate the time of the calls Well, when it was 3 a.m. my time, so then in Australia, they had a decent time. That was a really good lesson for me to learn because I was usually co-leading these calls. What is it like to have a call in the middle of the night? What do you have to do differently or what do you have to allow for when you're asking somebody to do that? And going through that experience for several years on my end helped me work with executives who may not even have thought of that. Well, and I love that you're able to say, look, I've done it. I'm I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't 
put my own pound of flesh in. I've done this and I've worked through it. And I can share with you the way that it was appreciated and the way that it shifted the team that I was working with. Well, absolutely. It also helps you understand why their tone of voice is a certain way at a certain time. What is it about them? They always sound either sleepy or like they don't want to be there or they might be multitasking. Well, knowing what time of the day and what season it is could be very helpful. If you're working in Scandinavia and they have no sunlight for long periods of time, that does weigh on a human being's behavior. Mm -hmm. Knowing that and having sensitivity and being curious to ask about that. Is and showing that you care enough to ask about that. Exactly. Exactly. I, I mean, I can give you a few other. Yeah, go, I love your examples. Well, the other, you know, I would say knowing with the religions of the country. I was on the phone with a coach in Nairobi, and sure enough, there was the call to prayer in the background. And he said, Oh, I'm sorry, does that noise distract you? And I said, well, not at all. Is, is that the call to prayer? He said, oh, yes, that's in the mosque right behind us. Well, this is part of his everyday life. He happened to be Christian. Uh-huh. And Muslims and Christians live very harmoniously together. Part of their life is there's a call to prayer many times a day, and they are very aware of people with other traditions Mm-hmm. And how important it was for me to be aware of what's going on in his country when, you know, they have certain religious traditions that, that are there. Another one is proper greetings for religious holidays. I used to work in Manhattan in New York City. I ran a company there and I had to know all the Jewish holidays as well as all the Christian holidays because they were both co-equal and they both happened, made a lot of holidays in the year. And you don't use the same greetings for each of the religious traditions. You want to know, for instance, one of my colleagues, um, my affiliate in the Middle East, has beautiful greetings for Ramadan. He's in Dubai. His office is in Dubai. Of course, it's an Islamic-based part of the world. So it's being aware of those holidays, those traditions. Chinese New Year is another one. I have colleagues in China as well as Southeast Asia in Singapore. Well. Chinese New Year, which is also called Spring Festival, is just like the Christmas holiday in Christian countries. It's two weeks. They completely take time off work. They're with their families, and it happens in February. So So you need to be aware of that. So you're not scheduling some incredibly critical meeting during their holiday season. Because they're not going to be there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And no, is this the year of the dog? Is this the year? What is the year in the Chinese calendar? Because that's important to them. Right. Know that you can always ask those questions. But if you know it as part of knowing them, it's an important part of honoring who they are. I love that. So I'm curious, in all of this work that you've done and travel, how is America, in your experience, how is it seen Or what's the perspective about America around the world? Honestly? Honestly. Right now, October 2nd, October of 2018, it's one of the first questions that I'm asked about the White House, about our country, about what's going on. It is of great interest and to be very candid, I find in other countries, they're far more informed about our politics than even the people that live here. They're very aware of global politics. And in Europe, they, because their borders are so close and they're like almost like the states are here, Yes, we know each other's politics. They know the political leaders. They know the trends. They know what's going on. 
they're very aware of the refugee influences in their areas. That's another one to be aware of. So they're wondering about our country. And they're very, I would say, respectfully curious and frightened. And I get asked about it every single time. I mean, is there the sense that Americans are interested in in their culture and in what's in, or is it that we expect people to know about us and we don't necessarily take the time to know about that? I know this can be stereotypical audience. I'm just, I think it's important for us to know if if we're thinking about working multiculturally, what we need to do to put the best foot forward as an American. And I know that historically, there's been sort of this sense of that, that we're not necessarily looked at as Americans as though we're curious about other cultures. You're saying it beautifully and perfectly and accurately. No, we're not viewed as curious about other cultures. We're viewed as other cultures need to adapt to us. Now, we're in a unique profession in coaching where being aware and curious is inherent in our, hopefully in our professional abilities to work with people. There are ways also to pay attention to, for instance, pace of speech. If you're speaking with someone for whom English is their second language, I used to live and work in Manhattan, and I used to have a mouth that went 100 miles an hour. I mean, my language. I had to learn to slow down. I came to California. It slowed down kind of naturally. (laughs) But to be honest, I was uh, coaching a Japanese gentleman, a very high-level executive, whose biggest challenge was working successfully with Western CEOs. Western. So that was U.S., Canada, Australia, Europe. Okay. And he was extremely challenged in how he presented himself. He wasn't being as powerful in those negotiations and meetings as he needed to be. When I worked with him, by the way, we worked strictly with video conference. Mm -hmm. We started with his body and his eye contact, how he held his body in his culture. And I had to be aware of his cultural upbringing in Japan. It was a sign of respect. You did not always look in the eyes and you did not maintain eye contact. He also had a much more reserved style and a very quiet voice. So we had to work on how to amplify voice, bring presence to the way he speaks on camera, as well as when he enters a room, how to bring that executive presence to a room rather than walking in, how to enter. In his tradition, your seat is assigned to you. You're told where you're going to sit, which, by the way, sit, which is, by the way, very important in an Asian tradition. Mm -hmm. We Americans, we just throw our bag down where we want to rather than look and ask the host, where do you want me to sit? I learned that the hard way. So in this case, how he could become an equal to these CEOs in their culture. And he became, by the way, he also had an English language coach working in concert with me as his executive coach. Uh So when we spoke, I had to speak much more slowly, pause frequently and ask, uh, do you have any questions? Mm -hmm. What did you understand from what we just talked about? What do you take away from what we just talked about? Or what does that mean to you? And I would find different ways of asking, what did he hear? Not Mm -hmm. what did I say? What did he hear? So key. Very important. So let me ask you this. How did you respect his culture and at the same time coach him to adapt a little more Western culture when he was needing to go toe-to-toe with these Western CEOs? 
I would tell him after the first time we coached together, and by the way, of course, it was rapport building, trust building. I asked permission. I said, are you comfortable working with me? I am a woman and I'm an American woman. Is that comfortable? And by the way, he chose me, but Mm -hmm. I wanted to double check. He said, yes, I want you to be honest. I want you to tell me what I'm doing wrong. And I said, well, culturally, I will want to give you feedback, let you know what you do correctly, and then we can talk about what you can do better. Well, in his mindset, it was what he did wrong. I had to respect that, Mm -hmm. but also give him another framework for looking at how we were working developmentally. So example, how did I do it with him? I told him after the first time, I said, the next time we meet, I want you to come to our meeting in the video conference, ready to meet with me as an American CEO. And I said, from hello, I want you to greet me in that demeanor. And he immediately, I gave him feedback about his hair. He had hair in his face. He had his head down. He was away from the camera like this. And I said, I want you sitting forward toward the camera. I want to see your eyes. And as soon as he showed up, hair was out of his face. He was level with the camera and he was present in that way. And then we worked from there. So each time was practice and then debrief. Mm-hmm. Practice and then debrief, lots of role playing. Mm-hmm. The other thing is I asked him, what's most difficult for you? And so we would talk about that. And each time, just bring it up, bring it up another level until at the end. I mean, he, he brought in the largest, and this was a global consultancy. He brought in the largest sales in his region that year. Wow. Yeah. Very brilliant. He was brilliant. He just needed to know culturally. Well, he was brilliant and he was being true to his culture. It's just, so that's what I, I didn't know if there was a sense of, well, you're telling me to do something that goes against my culture. If there was any sort of like, that's not respectful to my culture kind of thing, but he sought you out. He sought you out with a specific agenda and everything you worked with him was around getting him where he wanted to be. It wasn't as though he came in asking you to do something different than what you did. Exactly. And one of the things that was important as it is with any client from another culture is letting them know, I honor your culture. This is in honor of your culture and helping you succeed in another culture. If they're Western executives, they're probably not paying attention to your culture the way you pay attention to theirs. This is how you adapt. And this isn't about one way is better than the other. It's about how do you do both well, expanding your range. I like that. So we've talked a little bit about things that we need to stay tuned into and respectful of, and also that we have a bit of a, as Americans, we might have a bit of a barrier just in being American that we need to be aware of that, that it's an attitude or that might be sensed or assumed that we have to kind of step over and and be intentional on our parts to be curious. I love how you were saying, Alexandria, everything you were saying about being curious and asking questions and staying tuned in with listening and respect are all coaching principles, as you mentioned. I mean, it's, you know, when in doubt, what would a coach do? Exactly. I'll tell you an example of how this pertains in the U.S. Good. This is the most 
challenging interaction I've had with a colleague in many, many years. And he is a, an African-American colleague I respect. We have a great love and a friendship with one another. And I had been coaching an African-American female executive, and I was speaking with him about it. And I shared an incident from the coaching And he said, Alexandria, may I give you some feedback and some coaching about white privilege? I said, oh, yeah, I would love that, please. He said, this is going to get uncomfortable. Are you prepared for that? I said, oh, yes. You know, I'm thinking, oh, well, I've done global, blah, 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 multicultural, whatever. And then he started in with, first of all, you tell and you don't always ask. You thought when that female executive told you how she was treated by a white male, you understood because you you had been treated that way by white males. You didn't ask her how she felt. You didn't dive into her experience, curious about her experience. So often with white privilege, you think you know, and you don't ask. You are not curious, and you don't stay with the experience of, an, of a person of color to find out what they are going through. I was dumbfounded. I felt embarrassed. I said, oh my gosh, I, after all these years, I'm so upset. I didn't know I didn't catch it. He said, it's typical. And you're fairly awake. You have a long way to go. I suggest you keep working on this. And I said, oh, thank you. I will. So in our own country, yes, it's right there, the opportunity. Really powerful. So powerful. And I love that you gave that example because it also showed how to accept that kind of feedback and and learn and grow from it. Because, you know, many times our knee-jerk reaction might be to be defensive or I didn't or I, you know, and to to own that, wow, it didn't intentionally, but certainly I didn't show up the way that I wanted to. And to assume we know, you know, the old thing we know as coaches making assumptions. I just thought that was the correct thing to do, or that would be in service to that individual rather than checking with her and going deeper with her and staying in that terribly uncomfortable, intimate, vulnerable place. Wow. So powerful. So what haven't I asked you, if anything, about owning this multicultural global business, working with coaches from around the world and clients from around the world that you might want to share with the audience? I would say teaching our clients how to pay attention to and maintain an attention on other cultures, other countries, other ways of doing things to balance getting the job done with knowing the person. Oh, in Europe, Latin America, Hispanic cultures, mm-hmm. they, and in Asia, they don't want to get to business right away. They want to get to know you. You have a meal. You may have two days of meals. You may have a long time of getting to know each other before you're ever talking about the contract. And we here in the U.S. speed it up. We're so busy getting to the bottom line, the business, let's get the business done, rather than being sensitive to, that's not how they do business in their culture in their country. And I've had to learn to really pay attention. Who is my audience? How do they do business? Take cues from them, ask questions, because they may not be ready for that conversation yet. Timing, timing, timing. timing. That has just been such a wonderful glimpse into your world, 
into all of our worlds, but that you are able to rub elbows with people around the world every day because you you make a choice to do that. And I thank you for rubbing elbows with us here at the Star Coach Show because you bring such an incredibly interesting and valuable perspective. So thank you for taking time to be with us today. My pleasure, my privilege. Thank you for asking me. As I was talking with Alexandria in this interview, I kept thinking to myself, I wonder how often I end up thinking inside my bubble without even realizing that, you know, my perspective is so Meg perspective and how do I open that up? So I want to thank Alexandria for bringing her extensive experience to the show so that we could talk about having a global business in the world that gets smaller every day as we are able to access every corner. So if you'd like to know more about Alexandria and the work that she does, visit the resource page at starcoachshow.com. On the contact page, you can sign up for our ongoing book giveaway. And if you're enjoying the show and would be willing to leave a rate and review, that would be very appreciated. The more positive reviews we get on the show, the more people are attracted to the show and the more people get to access our wonderful guests like Alexandria and like our guest for next week's show when Eileen Schaefer comes to the show to talk about transition and her specialty which is walking with her clients in session. It is absolutely fascinating the things that it opens up, the creativity that occurs within her sessions. And I think you're going to absolutely love my interview with Eileen Schaefer. So be sure to come back next week when we are stepping up our coaching with Eileen Schaefer. Until next week. This is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.